Hey, everybody. Uh, I know we've been sheepish about tour announcements lately, <laughs> but we can finally announce our, well, let's just call it 2017, huh? <laughs> our tour. Some cities we've been to, some are new, some mm-hmm. it's been a while. Yeah, we are coming to cities all over the continental U.S. and parts of Canada. Yeah. If you live in either of those two places, there's a really good chance we're going to be somewhere near you at some point this year, Chuck. I'm psyched. We're kicking off in Toronto on August 8th at the Danforth Music Hall. It's going to be great. And then the next day, we're going to be in beautiful Chicago on August 9th at the Harris Theater. Uh, and then the next day, August 9th, at Danforth Music Hall in lovely Toronto, Canada, North America, planet Earth. Yep. And then uh, where to next? So I don't know. How about Vancouver on September 26th? And then the next day, we're going to be in Minneapolis on September 27th. Those are going to be awesome. That is correct. Then we are going to take a nap. And yep. then we are going to wake up on October 10th in Austin, Texas. Wonder how the heck we got there. <laughs> right. And then remember that we have to be at the Paramount Theater for our show. Yeah, that's called the Austin Wake Up. <laughs> and then, Chuck, the next day, we're going to be, for the first time ever, in beautiful Lawrence, Kansas, at the Liberty Hall on October 11th. It's going to be huge. And then, equally huge, is what's next. We have a special three-night second home stand. We call it our second home. That's because it's the Bell House in beautiful Brooklyn, New York, October 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. We're going to be there three nights in a row. And finally, we're going to wrap it up in true Stuff You Should Know fashion here in Atlanta mm-hmm. at the Buckhead Theater on November 4th. And this is going to be a very special show. Stay tuned for more details, but it is going to be a charity benefit show. Yeah. And not only are we donating 100% of our dough, uh, we got our booking agent and uh, venues and promoters and everyone is chipping in to donate large portions of their dough as well. So yep. we're pretty excited about that. Yep. So it's going to be a great tour, Chuck. We need to go get our rest. Yes. And you can go to SYSKLive.com to get all your details because that is our touring home on the web. And tickets are going on sale this Friday, June 9th. So visit SYSKLive.com for ticket links. And if uh, the ticket link doesn't happen to be there, do not fret. Just go to the theater homepage, and you can find out all about it there. We'll see you on the road. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark with Mr. Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And? Roundly liked fella. And uh, another roundly liked person, Jerry Jerome Rowland. Me? People can take or leave me. <laughs> what a weird start. Yeah, it's weird, but this is a weird episode, man. You think? Sure. It's mysterious, at least. That's, mystery's weird. Uh, Yeah, mystery is weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's a t-shirt. Prove my point. Yeah. Man, it's been a long time since we came up with a t-shirt. Uh, well, yeah, since we pointed one out. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Mystery is weird. Yeah. Josh Clark. <laughs> S-Y-S-K. That's right. Or as some people say, S-U-S-K. I've never gotten that. Well, you. Yeah, stuff you is should it the know. text version? I don't know, I guess. Yeah. I think it's just a mistake. I think so, too. It looks weird. To each his own. 
That's another good T-shirt. Yeah. Well, that's our <laughs> motto here, Stuff You Should Know, to each their own. That's right. So, Chuck, um, back in February of this year, not too terribly long ago, mm-hmm. down in New Zealand at a beach called uh, Farewell Spit in Golden Bay. It's on the top of the South Island of New Zealand. Okay. Okay. Um, they had a huge, huge mass stranding of whales, pilot whales to be specific. About 600 and Imagine about 400 it. died. Imagine that. It's the saddest thing you can see. Well, yeah, there's, or, you a, know, one of them. There's a, um, I was reading an article, I think it was from The Guardian, that was basically on location interviewing people down there. They were like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. It's I've awful. never experienced anything worse than this. There's dead pilot whales everywhere, dying pilot whales everywhere. Yeah. And apparently the local authorities put out a call to, People living in the area saying, like, mm, cancel school, call in sick to work. Like, we need your help down here. Yeah. And there's this group called Project Jonah that's a New Zealand, basically a whale rescue group. And it's pretty appropriate that they're from New Zealand because from what I understand, New Zealand has the highest incidence of whale strandings or I think even cetacean strandings, which, you know, is any Tall kind of cetacean and, yeah. ending up on a beach um, in the world. But the, as the International Whaling Commission puts it, any country with a coastline has, is going to have a problem with mass strandings of whales. Happened in Germany. It did happen in Germany, which is not landlocked, <laughs> it turns out. Uh, yeah, it's just heartbreaking to it see is. these beautiful, humongous creatures, mm-hmm. uh, just laying there dying an awful, awful death. Yeah. And, um, there's a, a lot of, like I said, mystery to the whole thing. We're not entirely certain why whales end up stranded, especially on mass. Um, there's a lot of pretty good hypotheses, some of which are probably true. It's, there's probably multiple explanations, but there is definitely some, some weirdness to it still. And then there's a lot of debate about what exactly you should do yeah. during a whale stranding. Should you help them? Should you kill them? Um, and then, How should you kill them? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then it, what, then there's a lot of debate also about what exactly you should do with a dead whale stranded on the beach because those things, you don't just flush them down the toilet. No. They're pretty big. Yeah, and when I said dying an awful death, um, they, well, there's a lot of things that happen. Uh, their skin burns. Yeah, they have very soft, sensitive skin. Yeah, so just to be out there in the sun like mm-hmm. that. Uh, they equated it to like a third degree burn on a human. Right. Just laying there in the sun. Um, seagulls come in and don't even wait for them to die. Oh. And apparently have a thing for going for the eyeballs. Yeah. So a, a dying live whale being, ha- having its skin burn and eyeballs picked out. Yep. That's a big problem. And then you also, I didn't think about this, but so a whale is a marine mammal, right? They come up to breathe. Yeah. But they're, they're equipped to be in the water where gravity is is less. Yeah, they're they're huge and so they need that water to uh well, when they go on land big problems happen. Yeah, they encounter the pressure of gravity. Yeah. Um pressing down on them and they actually start to to suffocate under their own weight. Yeah. The big problem is is while they're laying there on the beach, they 
it takes them a very long time to suffocate. They have a tremendous, obviously, tremendous reserve of blubber, so they don't starve to death first, so they very infrequently do. Yeah. So over the course of days, possibly even weeks, they're laying there suffocating under the weight of gravity, being crushed by the their own blubber. Yeah, and their, their own organs being uh, crushed yeah. under their own weight. So it's a bad jam. It's a pretty bad scene. Yeah, it's just really, really sad. And... To fully understand how to help whales and other cetaceans from becoming stranded in the first place, we have to understand why they become stranded. And there's a uh, a lot of investigation into this. But apparently it's nothing new from from what I've seen. Uh, as, far, as long as humans have been um, keeping records, yeah. there have been reports of mass whale strandings all over the world. Yeah, and you cobbled together quite a few articles for this. Um uh, one of the really good ones was what causes mass, uh, what causes whale mass strandings from mm-hmm. the, the conversation by Robin Grace. And, um, she points out that, you know, like you said, this has been going on forever, uh, since people have been writing it, writing it down. And, um, lots, all different kind of species of whales this can happen to and dolphins and other, uh, cetaceans. But, um, it says, uh, she said short fin pilot whales are the most frequent. Or he, I guess. It could be like that guy from Cheers. It is R-O-B-Y-N. Oh, that's a sh- that's that's always a she, right? No, Robin what? Hitchcock spells his name with a Y, doesn't he? Oh, what know. a confusing world. <laughs> I talked to him in an elevator at uh, the uh, Sketchfest last year. Really? Yeah. Were the Egyptians with him? No. Wait, wasn't he in the band? What band? The band. No. Oh. What was he in originally? I don't know. He, he was in like a, a oh, major he? band like that first. Huh. I wonder. He's definitely not in the band. He's English. Okay. Um, Sorry. Where were we? Oh, yeah, yeah. So pilot whales, uh, short fin pilot whales are the most frequent uh, strand strandees, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, false killer whales, melon-headed whales. Uh, Poor co- melon-headed whales. I know, that name. Uh, the Cuvier beaked whale and sperm whales. Um, these these are all very much deep sea dwellers. Right. Uh, very social fish, and this is one of the problems is they they hang out together in the hundreds. Right. And so, um, one of the thoughts, uh, and like you said, there are a lot of different hypotheses, but one of the thoughts when they see these mass strandings is uh, whatever, and we'll talk about what might get that first whale there, whether it was just sick mm-hmm. or. Uh, confused or uh, out of its depth trying to go for some prey, mm-hmm. uh, like out of its comfort zone. Literally but, out of its depth. Yeah. Uh, but th- maybe the other hundreds are just tagging along. Right. So there's this there's this big drive, um, especially among environmental protection groups, to say this is human-caused in large part. And there is a whole branch of strandings that probably are that actually – almost certainly can be accounted or chalked up to human activity. But there's also a big, wide portion of animal strandings, cetacean strandings, that appear to be natural in nature, right? Yeah. And so some of those hypotheses are that initially, like, one whale or something was uh, uh, sick yeah. or maybe injured mm-hmm. um, and came in toward shallower water so it could come up to to surface for air more easily. Sure. And went in a little too shallow and got trapped there. Um, It's possible that a pod of whales 
were chasing some very valuable prey into areas that they weren't familiar with that were too shallow. Um, and they got stranded there as well. And there's, there's a couple of, uh, parts to this that, that make the whole thing make sense a little more. One is that echolocation that is, um, part of, it's basically the number one sense that, um, marine mammals use. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it doesn't work very well in shallow waters, right? Yeah, so they, this, this is their navigational aid. They get into these shallower waters. Like you said, maybe they were chasing something to eat. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, they find themselves out of place. They don't know which way to go, so they inadvertently swim toward the shore. Right. And, that- and accidentally beach, and maybe they've got hanging out with 20 or 30 pals because they're social. Right. Which makes it all so sad. That's a big cue, though, or big clue that um, these are deep-sea marine mammals that strand on gently sloping, sandy areas. Yeah, and they found some, uh, I guess, anecdotal evidence. Um, some whales in the North Sea that were beached or stranded uh, had recently digested oceanic squid. So they thought, well, you know, maybe they had gone in chasing the squid. Right. Uh, had just eaten it and didn't know which way to go right. to get out of there. Yeah, they got confused. And that's another thing that um, people who have been on the scene of mass whale strandings uh, report is that the whales often se- seem to be disoriented or disorientated, depending on where you're from. Oh, that's right. Wasn't that a thing on the show? I think it's UK-ish. Is it? Disorientated. <laughs> UK-ish? Yeah. Uh, should we take a break now? Sure. All right. We'll take a break and um, talk a little bit more about the natural causes and also about potential man-made causes. So, Chuck, one thing that you, you hit upon um, is that the whales are very, very social. Yeah. And so there's this idea that if one becomes stranded, especially if this is a leader that's leading a pod, yeah. if they become lost or disoriented, as long as they're stranded, the other members of the pod of this extremely social, tight-knit group are going to hang around and, and stick with that one. Yeah. There's also an idea that ones that are sick or injured, if they go off – and, and become stranded, that even if the the ones that follow them aren't lost, they're there because of the social bonds. Like yeah. they're there to provide support or because they care. It's called the social caring hypothesis, this idea that whales allow themselves to become stranded because a, a, a member of their pod has become stranded and they're worried about them, basically. Yeah. Uh, so... Obviously, there are a lot of people around the world that care a lot about this and are trying to work to just learn more about how to handle this. And uh, and last year, there was a, a workshop held to discuss, you know, how to practically handle these strandings. Uh, and so it concluded um, that they had a uh, an international strandings network. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were going to establish this. And I guess they're in the process of doing that now. Um, basically, stranding experts from all all these different countries where it happens, partnering up with something called the Entanglement Network um, to basically share information on best practices and just get a little more organized 
uh, with how they can best help this situation. Right. So, you know, it's good that they're doing something about it. One of the other things that um, very recently, I think within the last year or two, uh, has been finally handled was this longstanding issue of whether or not sonar that's used by, like, navies around the world um, it leads to strandings of whales. Yeah, in 1996, this was the first time this connection was made. Uh, there was a NATO military exercise off the coast of Greece, uh, which coincided with uh, the stranding of 12 uh, Cuvier's beaked whales. Mm-hmm. Um, another one in May 2000 uh, in the Bahamas. Um, loud uh, loud mid-frequency sonar stranded a number of whales. And uh, for those, they did some uh, examinations and found hemorrhaging in the inner, uh, in the inner ear right. uh, that indicated acoustic trauma, which is... Just devastating. Right. And there were NATO or uh, either NATO or U.S. Navy sonar exercises that had been conducted right there. Right. Oh, yeah. And then in 2002, a group of beaked whales uh, landed in the Canary Islands and um, they were examined. And this has raised a really big mystery as well. Some of them showed signs of what we would call the bends, submersion sickness. Yeah, which you would not think that a marine mammal would ever have a problem with. No, because they've developed, um, well, they've adapted to be able to die very quickly and, and rise very quickly. But they think that probably something about acute sonar which is basically just getting hit by a blast of high-frequency, short-duration sound waves, um, causes them to either swim away. This is the current hypothesis. There was a New York Times article called The Search for Clues to What Causes Whale Strandings. And um, it talks about this study that was published in the Journal of Experimental Biology in 2017. And the study, um, who's carried out by Terry, uh, Terry Williams, basically says that sonar goes off nearby some whales or cetaceans. Mm-hmm. They... Try to get away as fast as they can. Yeah. As they do, they expend about double the amount of energy they normally would swimming. Mm-hmm. And they, um, they lose oxygen to their brain. In the meantime, carbon dioxide starts to build, which allows bubbles to form in their tissues, including their brain, which is bends, decompression sickness. Yeah. Which, so it's not like sonar causes the bends, but it indirectly, they think, leads to the bends by disrupting the the uh, whale or cetacean's ability to dive or rise very quickly without decompression sickness. Yeah, and this um, that study was pretty important because they, I think for, for a long time, people just thought, well, they're fish. They can swim endlessly, uh-huh. and it's not a problem because they're marine mammals or fish, and they just, that's what they do. Right. But, uh, it, it's sort of a no-brainer that they can get tired just like anything else, and they confirm that in studies. You know, if they if they sprint, basically, um, they are essentially getting tired. Right. And if they're sprinting to avoid sonar, then that's a problem. Yep. And so as a result, the Navy entered into an agreement to not conduct these trials uh, or sonar exercises or underwater explosions um, between around Hawaii or Southern California, which are extremely important um, reproducing and feeding grounds for whales yeah. of all types. And there's some resident populations there. But they finally said, okay, all right, fine. We're not going to do that anymore around there. Yeah. 
which is a big deal. Yeah, sea quakes are another uh, um, underwater sound, um, uh, like really intense thing that can can affect them beyond sonar. Yeah. So it's not always just man-made sounds. No, but there is another type of man-made sound that's a big problem called chronic underwater noise that um, is created by things like um, shipping or industry. Yeah. That kind of thing. Uh, where it's not necessarily this high intensity, but it's it's pretty much constant, and it can drive cetaceans nuts. Because again, like we use our eyes, they use their ears. And if you have a huge loud sound or a constant loud sound, yeah, it makes it difficult for you to do things like you know, hit on a, a lady whale when you're <laughs> when it's time to reproduce. Well, yeah, and we've we've mostly been talking about whales, but there was this one um, anecdotal story of these dolphins. Uh, short-beaked common dolphin that uh, this one researcher found, and this kind of lends itself to the to the fact that they will travel together mm-hmm. uh, if one of them is hurt. Uh, and this is at the Tiafi Estuary, uh, West Wales, and he found these two dolphins on the beach, and one of them was sick. Uh, post-mortem revealed it had a heavy lung parasite infection uh, that affected its breathing, but the other one apparently was not sick, but remained close to uh, its little buddy uh, in distress, like whistling frequently. Yeah. So, um, man, that's just like heartbreaking. It was like, Ted, Ted, stay with me. Who's Ted? Ted's the dying dolphin. Oh, okay. I thought that was a reference to something. No. <laughs> just Ted the dolphin? Yeah. Gotcha. Did you ever hear about the um, researcher, surely we've talked about that, the dolphin researcher who... Like, took acid with dolphins, like, gave acid to dolphins and dropped it himself. I don't think so. Build a house in, I think, the Bahamas that could be flooded so the dolphins could come live in the house with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe tried to or successfully his research assistant did it with the dolphin. Had sex with a dolphin? That's another way to put it. Wow. This is real. I, I've definitely never heard this story. Yeah. We, I think that one might deserve its own episode. It, it's, it happened. The man who did acid and did sex with dolphins. I think his research assistant, a female, uh, did it with dolphins. Or at least came close. There was like a... You sure this wasn't a fever dream? Um, <laughs> it sounds like it. It must have seemed like it down in the Bahamas at the time. Wow. Yeah, we'll, we'll do an episode on it. Okay. So... We, it feels like science is hot on the trail of cetacean strandings, of figuring out what causes it. There's a lot of different causes. Yeah, it's probably all that stuff, I think. Yeah, probably. Um, but there's a, a big issue still to be discussed, and that is that if you have a dolphin stranding or a whale stranding, and you've got some that have died naturally, mm-hmm. but you still have some that are alive... What do you do? Well, there's this that group in New Zealand called Project Jonah. Mm-hmm. They have guidelines for like the average person of how to how to keep a, a cetacean that's been stranded or beached, how to keep it comfortable, how yeah. to keep it alive. Yeah, a dolphin obviously is more savable. Sure, uh, and um, more savable not only because they're smaller, but they're it's it. Frankly, it's unsafe to go too close to a beached whale. Right. That's why I was really surprised that this group was putting out guidelines telling you how to yeah. care for a beached whale. 
It's an extremely dangerous thing to get near a beached whale, especially by the tail. Yeah, I mean, an accident can easily happen, and they're so strong. Sure, and they're agitated. They're scared out of their minds. Yeah. It's a it, it, it's a dangerous thing. So there's a lot of a lot of discussion about you know what do you do? Well, some people say, well, you refloat them, you get them out there as fast as possible. But That's apparently, it is hard to do. And also, to an untrained person, you can't really spot a a gravely injured internally injured cetacean right. just by looking at it. So you may be pushing it back out to sea and being like, go, go live, when really they're going, going to have a long, prolonged death at sea because they're dying of internal injuries. Right. The The prevailing idea, it seems like, at least among scientists, is that you should probably euthanize, especially a whale. Dolphins, yeah, you can probably refloat them. A whale, once it becomes beached, it's probably a goner, so say most scientists that I've come across, and so you you would euthanize them. But then this raises the whole issue, how do you humanely kill a whale? Where do you get a guillotine that big? Uh, yeah, and you know what? We'll talk about uh, what they've come up with right after this. Right, so uh, where we left off was the. Um, sadly, oftentimes the most humane thing to do would be to put one of these whales out of their misery right. uh, immediately, or you know, as quickly as possible. Sure. Uh, and so, how do you do this safely? Um, they've tried a variety of drugs over the years, um, some to greater success than others. Um, one drug they tried was good old phenobarbital. Right. Um, the problem with phenobarbital is that it's uh, it doesn't just leave the whale uh, immediately. It, it can it can stay in the whale system and then go into other places like a dog. Yeah, yeah it doesn't break down in the environment. And there was a case of a dog being fed whale meat. Yeah, and falling into a coma because of the bar the the barbiturates. Yeah. That had, I mean, like, it takes a truckload of barbiturates to euthanize a whale, right? Oh, I'm sure. So this dog eating this meat and falling into a coma, it was to be expected. Luckily, the dog recovered after having its stomach pumped twice. But, I mean, what a cluster of a day that was all around. Got to euthanize a whale, and then your dog falls into a coma when you feed it the whale, and you're just trying to complete the circle of life, you know? Well, yeah, and don't you need special permission to use phenobarbital anyway? Yes. It's not like the kind of thing you can just, you know, no. order up. No, these are like significant drugs. And actually, there was a there's a, a protocol that was recently developed and published in a journal of a, a, a sequence of drug administrations that keep that will kill a whale, but it will do it very humanely and actually quite safely, too. These very clever scientists figured out how to use drugs to kill a whale. And it's very much like the drug cocktail that they give to prisoners in the United States when um, for the death penalty. Yeah, I mean, it's taken them a while to find the correct mix of drugs that won't um, that are safe to use, that won't agitate the whale further, mm-hmm. uh, that will kill them quickly. Uh, so a lot of like kind of experimentation has gone on. And what they finally came up with... Uh, was four drugs 
uh, Medazolam. I think that's like uh, Ativan. Okay. Thumbs up on that. <laughs> um, Asapromazine. I think that's like Bayer. Okay. Uh, Exolazine. <laughs> that's ecstasy. And potassium chloride. That is um, special K, the cereal. And that needs to be administered sequentially, I believe, in that order, correct? Yeah, because one of them, uh, what was the one with the X? Exolazine. Uh, uh, okay, so that Exil- one. Exolazine? Yeah, maybe, or Zelazine. Anytime something starts with three consonants, I just get thrown. It's a tough one. Yeah. Um, but that, if you just give that to a whale, it's a sedative, I believe, or no, it's a painkiller, I'm sorry, but it can cause thrashing. That is extremely dangerous. You, like the, a whale's tail is already dangerous enough when it's stranded. If you give it a drug that makes it involuntarily thrash, you're, you're in big trouble. But they found that if they administer that stuff after the other two, it won't cause thrashing, but will have the painkilling effect. Yeah, so the midazolam, and the uh, asapromazine uh, they use already in veterinary services for horses and dogs to calm them down. And, you know, when, when you have a dog put down, they don't give just one shot. That's a couple of shots. Yeah, yeah, ideally. Yeah. They don't even give humans a couple of shots these days. <laughs> yeah, so they do this, you know, with dogs. They give one to kind of calm the dog down and then one to stop the heartbeat. Right. And the potassium chloride, the final thing, is the one that stops the whale's heart, I believe. Yes, the exazoline is the pain relief and anesthesia, and then that final potassium chloride is what does it. So the the guys who came up with this um, protocol also developed needles, like industrial-sized needles, that can be used. They're attached to garden sprayers. Yeah, that's nuts. Right? So you put all the drugs in these garden sprayers, and then you attach a needle to it. And the great thing about the needles is that you can insert the needles into the veins that are around the fins. Mm-hmm. You don't need to go near the arteries, which which the main artery connects the tail to the body. Yeah. So it's much safer to administer these drugs because you're working by the fin, which is much less dangerous than, say, working by the tail. Yeah. And apparently... Um, I don't think that they've actually used this protocol on any cetacean yet, but um, so this is kind of brand new. It is brand new, but they uh, they are feeling pretty pretty good about it. As good as you can feel about coming up with a cocktail of drugs to kill a whale. Yeah, but that's just one way of euthanizing whales. There's there's other ones. Yeah, people shoot them with shotguns. Yeah, there are certainly more primitive attempts uh, that are. Uh, primitive <laughs> yeah it is and and there's actually a protocol for shooting a whale and you want to use very high caliber um, bullets projectiles and if you don't you're just going to hurt that whale because they have a really really strong skull yeah that, that's really tough to penetrate um so there's this thing that's been developed called the sweat the sperm whale euthanasia device sperm whales have a very thick skull they're huge whales and this thing is a modified World War II 14.5-millimeter Russian anti-tank gun that's been developed just to euthanize sperm whales by shooting them in the head with this thing. Yeah, I'm going to go with the drug cocktail. There's also exsanguination, which is if you don't have a drug cocktail and you've got a, a, a whale, you don't have an anti-tank gun, you don't have a drug cocktail, 
the the uh, the preferred method is to exsanguinate the whale by cutting that major artery that connects the tail to its body and basically just bleed letting it bleed out. Yeah, which is sad, but it's better than dying Over while weeks. your skin is is burning off. Yeah, you know. And seagulls are eating your eyeballs. Right. Uh, and so we'll finish with um, kind of the problem of what to do with that dead whale, uh, and something that happened in. November 1970, November 12th specifically, in Oregon, uh, a lot of people think that it was a made-up story, mm-hmm. that they blew up a whale, uh, but it really happened. Right. And there's actually grainy footage of it on YouTube. Yeah. 1970 news footage from W... No, K-A-T-U-T-V. Right? because yeah, it's West. Right. So it's K. Oh, is that what that is? Yeah. W's the east, K's the west. I never knew that. Yeah. Uh, so you've got um, an 8-ton, 40-foot-long uh, sperm whale. This is from Snopes, correct? Yes. Um, and apparently Snopes did the real research because there was this long-published article that everyone kind of referenced over and over, as people do on the Internet. Um, and they realized, they were like, no one ever really called the people that actually did this. Right. So let's do that. And they did. They talked to a guy named Ed. Because it kept coming up on the Internet, and people thought it was, number one, it had just happened, and then number two, that it was a hoax yeah. and an urban legend. And an actual urban legend developed out of the real thing. Correct. But the real story is that uh, on November 12, 1970, an 8-ton, 45-foot-long sperm whale, uh, which was dead, um, washed up on in Florence, Oregon, and um, was, you know, a, a dead whale eventually will smell a lot. That's a big problem. And not only that, it's a, it poses a big problem in that if it, if you have a whale that's like still partially in the surf, uh-huh. those sharks come a calling sure. to feed on it. Imagine that's an And they'll attack anything around there. Yeah. So it's a huge public health problem if yeah. you have a big dead whale on your beach. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, they think like, all right, we need to get rid of this thing. What do we do? Who do we call? Um, the Oregon Beach is public right-of-way. So oddly enough, it went to the state highway division right. to clean this up. Yep. Uh, so they consulted the Department of the Navy, and the Navy said, blow it up. Yeah, this guy named George Thornton was the guy whose shoulders it fell on. He was with the highway division. and. He's like, all right, we'll blow it up. I mean, they it made sense at the time. They blew up huge boulders, yeah, that weighed about the same, and that's how they, that's the what they used to calculate how much dynamite to blow this whale up. Yeah, I mean, in the weirdest way, it did make sense. It totally did. Like they they calculated that they would need a half a ton of dynamite, twenty crates worth, and they thought, well, if we stuff this stuff on the landward side of the whale, it'll blow it. Out to sea. Out to sea, basically. No muss, no fuss. Going to blow it to smithereens, and we'll just leave it for the seagulls and, you know, uh, the the crabs. And I think the quote was the crabs and the seagulls and whatnot to eat the the tiny particles of blubber. Yeah. Like you said, no fuss, no muss. So on November 12th, 1970, uh, there were a group of a couple dozen onlookers who came to see this. Word got out around Florence, Oregon, that that they were going to blow a whale up. I'm sure that was... A, a pretty fun thing to do in Florence, Oregon that day. Right. So people people came out to see, and Channel 2, KATU's Paul Lindman reported on the scene, and he did the whole thing very tongue-in-cheek. This is right out of the gate. They're going to blow a whale up with half a ton of dynamite. Yeah. 
this guy got the, the, the hilariousness inherent in the idea. It's like right out of Anchorman. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, and so he, he called it, and everybody went and hid behind the dunes about a quarter of a mile away. Not far enough. No. <laughs> they blew the thing. And you got to see this footage. Just just look up Exploding Whale on YouTube. Yeah. It, it was a huge explosion. Oh, yeah. And everybody's watching, and they're like, yeah, somebody goes, wee. And then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, so I think a woman says, oh, God. Yeah. As whale parts just start raining down on everybody. Yeah, it's like uh, that scene in Tremors. <laughs> right. When they finally blew up one of the Tremors. Yeah. And it, they just start, you know, getting, of course, in Tremors, it was that kind of orange, blood orange yeah. pulp. One of the Graboids. Is that what they were called? That's what, uh, oh, Walt, that's what the, the, uh, the store owner, the little store owner guy called them. They were trying to think of what to call them. He's like, what about Graboids? <laughs> Great movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it basically rained down whale blubber, uh, some in larger pieces than others. And it's remarkable nobody got hurt. Yeah. Because uh, a three foot by five foot piece uh, landed on a Buick owned by Walter Umenhofer. <laughs> and they showed the car. It crushed his car. Had he been sitting in that, he would have been dead as a doornail. Oh, yeah. Like, it's really lucky no one got killed. Yeah, that could have squashed somebody easy. Sure. And so everybody is sitting there wiping whale blubber and guts and, and gristle off of their faces, and they look over, and most of the whale is still there. It definitely vaporized part of the whale, but most of it was still there, so they just buried it on the beach, which is one thing you can do with the whale. You can bury it on the beach. You yeah. can take it to a landfill. You can drag it out to sea. That's the preferred thing. But just to the, hook it up to a boat and right. pull it out. And then let it let it sink, which is the natural thing. There's something called a whale fall, which creates like a, a temporary ecosystem on the sea floor that attracts a bunch of different organisms that eat the whale, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's illegal in the U.S. To, to tow a whale that's been put down with barbiturates out to sea yeah. because remember, those don't break down, so you got secondary toxicity. So if you put a whale down with a cocktail in the U.S., you have to render it, burn it, or bury it in a landfill. You can't take it out to sea. But if you just shoot it in the head, you can drag it out to sea and, and let it sink. Interesting. There's a lot of math to be done with dragging it out to sea. Sure. Because ostensibly you would tie a rope around its tail. Yeah. Pull it out mm-hmm. where it would drag along the seafloor. Well, hopefully it would float. Would it? Sure it would. And the reason why is another reason why a dead whale is super dangerous. Because as they decompose, gas builds up just like they do in a decomposing human, and then they explode on their own sometimes, too, that you don't want to be standing near either. All right. So I guess it has to float, because otherwise, eventually, it would start pulling that boat down with it. Sure. At which point, you would definitely want to cut bait. Yes, literally. <laughs> you got anything else? No. It's, um, it's a very sad thing, and I'm glad that there are people who dedicate their lives to this kind of thing yeah if you're into that if you hear that as a calling go check out project jonah's website they will be right up your alley you'll probably end up moving to new zealand which i can attest is a great great place to visit i want to go it's great and i hear it's friendly and safe yes and like i've heard it compared to like the united states in the 1950s as far as like friendliness and safety yeah and just sort of uh, a bit of a throwback in like the best ways. 
That's what friends of mine have said. Okay. Or maybe they just mean everyone's drunk all day long. Maybe. And uh, doing drugs and having a good time. That's all that happened in the 50s. There's a town in there that was built in art, like completely art deco in the 1930s. Are they talking about that? Did they use art deco to, to describe it? No, this is just New Zealand as a whole. Okay. Well, check it out. We'll have to go there on a tour someday. Absolutely. Okay. Well, since I said we'll go there on tour someday, it's time for listener mail. I'm going to call this a general email of interest. Okay. That's a good one. (laughs) Hello, Josh, Chuck, and Jerry. Hello. Uh, I cannot remember the name of the podcast where there's a crazy doctor. Oh, I remember what this was. Um, Not Uncle Shlomo. Um, Who got run out of uh, multiple towns, starts up multiple practices, and possibly loses his license multiple times. Uh, I know if I could remember exactly what he was doing uh, to get run out of these towns, I would remember the podcast, but the ripe age of 20, it is lost. Do you remember it? No. I was hoping that you would no know idea. and that we could delight this uh, listener I think live. this guy's confusing us with stuff to blow your mind. Uh, well, it's a lady, I think. Oh, well, this but, lady. Um, you think? I don't know. It All happens right. from time to time. No, I'm going to finish the email anyway. Okay. Um, I know that it's on my list of favorites uh, amongst Satanic Panic of the 80s. Great one. Great one. Operation Mincemeat. Mm-hmm. Another good one. How Bars Work. Public, okay, so uh, this is a listening. Public Relations. Yeah, man. And uh, Kitty Genovese. Yep. Boy, those are all some of my favorites, too. They are. Uh, and, of course, the time you guys partied with Billy Boy Gates. That was a great party. <laughs> uh, you guys always brighten my day and uh, lead me to become a person whose slogan is, so I heard on this podcast, dot, dot, dot. There's a T-shirt. Uh, I'm an architecture student from Auburn University, uh, War Eagle, even if you don't want to. Or Tigers. Uh, yeah, see, that's just weird. Yeah, I know. That's dumb. Two. Make up your <laughs> mind, Auburn. Uh, and I've listened to y'all to keep me going through countless late hours, early mornings and days when I don't ha- uh, ever leave my studio desk. Also, I have forced many of my classmates to listen to you. Shout out to fellow listener and classmate, Corey Subsasic. Pronounce Sue Basic. <laughs> Subsasic. Yeah. Man, I threw all kinds of letters in there. Sure. Uh, Corey Sue Basic. Uh, if you read this on the listener mail, uh, shout out Corey. And I always suggest, I always suggest the Satanic Panic is the first episode. Yeah, that's a good starter. Yeah, I agree. Uh, anyway, guys, please uh, help me remember my favorite episode and have just a remarkable day. Best of luck to you all and your prospective children and spouses. I don't think she means prospective children, does she? I think she's been in architecture too long. (laughs) I think prospective children mean children that have yet to be born. Sure. I don't think that's happening anytime soon. Little angels. That is from Livia Barrett. Uh, She said, sign out, uh, Birmingham, Alabama would love to have you. We performed in Birmingham. It was a great show. It was a great show. Maybe we'll come back one day to the great uh, workplace theater there. Yeah. It's a very warm reception. Um... I can't remember, so what I'm hoping is someone writes in. I do too. About the crazy doctor who got run out of multiple towns, starts multiple practices, and possibly loses his license multiple times. No idea. Yeah. So, I mean, not a clue. If anyone can remember that and write in and tell us, we will answer Livia back again on the air and then read your email. Oh, well, there you go. That's a heck of a deal, Chuck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, if you have Livy's answer, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can also hang out with me. I'm at Josh Um Clark on Twitter. You can hang out with Chuck on Facebook at Charles W. Chuck Bryant or Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, 
stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 